You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're tuned in to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. It is July 5th and it's just clocked over to 7am. You're joined by me, Genevieve. I've got Fung in the studio as well. Good morning, Fung. Good morning, Jen. How are you going? I'm good. We're past winter solstice. So I know, but we're... it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> I know, in my head, I'm like, I know that to be true. Yeah. And I should be feeling good about the days getting slightly longer. But yes. in reality, it's it's not feeling like that. that's the case just yeah. yet. No, but... not just yet. We've also had quite a cold snap recently. It's yeah. been particularly freezing. <laughs> um but that's okay. I feel like on the upwards towards longer days is always exciting. No, it is exciting. I think another reason why that it hasn't really sunk in for me yet is because I just got a puppy. I was going to ask you about this. Oh my God. <laughs> and, um, and we're toilet training her. And so we have to get up in the middle of the night and get up really early. Yeah. And so I'm just like yeah. thinking about like, kind of like a zombie taking her outside and it is pitched back like I'm wearing a head head one of those like headlamps like oh camping God. headlamps <laughs> and Cute. just like really hoping that she does her business and there yeah. are like possums out it's actually quite beautiful but it's it's freezing and it's so dark um, in your tired mind you're like this is magical <laughs> so yeah um and uh, it's another whippet yeah so yeah two whippets um Cute. Yeah, I think at the time we were like, this is a great idea, but there's always the first couple of weeks where you feel like, wow, this is really hard. (laughs) Yeah, like, why did we do this? Yeah, yeah. not that it's on the same scale at all. I recently babysat my brother's cat Mm. um, for just over a week, and even that I was... Yeah, it's like looking after a baby and they just like, it just despised me the whole time. And I was like, you'd be dead if I was in here. Um, Did it ever like just have moments where it kind of, you know, slink up to you? Sometimes. (laughs) It's a very bizarre cat. Um, Always a meter away from me at all Mm, times. Just playing it cool. Yeah, always staring me off. Um, But a bit of a, you know, wants a bit of a pat, but like doesn't want to come off too easy yeah you have, no, I have to the, really work for it the ultimate power play I would say yeah. I feel like this yeah. cat knows exactly what they're doing exactly mm. um all right well we should probably go through what's coming up this morning yeah so it is NADOC week everyone that's um happening this week from the 3rd to the 10th of July um and so we're going to kick off with um a segment 
uh, from podcast Truth Telling with Lydia Thorpe. Um, and Lydia Thorpe has a chat with Uncle Jack Charles about uh, the importance of truth telling in order for um, so-called Australia to, to move on as a nation. So that's coming up at around quarter past seven. And then at 7.30, um, we're going to play a conversation that I had with Lucy, which isn't her real name, but Lucy is a secondary school teacher out in the western suburbs of Nam, Melbourne. And they're on the show today to talk about uh, their experiences as a teacher, um, especially during this difficult time where there's been a lot of staff shortages, illnesses going around, and a lot of burnout. There have been quite a few... Um, articles coming out about teachers leaving the profession and also huge strikes in New South Wales. So, um, yeah, that's coming up at half past seven. Then um, right after that, we'll be speaking with Auntie Rhonda Collard Spratt, who is a Yamachi Nunga elder um, and stolen generation survivor. And she's also an accomplished author and artist and has just written a book called Bob Tail's Friend, which explores themes of... Um, uh, racism um, and so yeah I'm really excited to talk to her about that just um, before eight o'clock yeah coming up at 8 a.m I'll be having a chat to Portia Delena who is a graduate researcher in history uh, and who has just published a research article about where women in education uh, specifically at a study center that was opened in 1972 in Albury and she aims to give light to uh, the feminist movement that was happening not just in metropolitan areas but in rural and regional Victoria. Cool. And then um, to finish off the show for today, we're going to play you a segment from yesterday's Beyond the Bars broadcast that was happening out at Dame Phil's Frost Centre. So broadcaster Shirley Hood speaks with Daisy about um, about radio, about NAIDOC Week and about her art in prison. Um, and yeah, we'll be speaking more about Beyond the Bars uh, in a minute during our news headlines. Cool. All right. We'll go to a quick break and we'll be back with the news headlines in just a moment. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its Australian Plants Expo on the 27th to 28th of August, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Huge native plant fair. Thousands of native plants included grafted, uncommon species and indigenous plants with books on related subjects, crow's foot pottery, gift stalls, native flower displays and activities for children. Refreshments will also be available. Wheelchair friendly, adults at $5, concessions $4 and children free. Check out our website for plant lists, apsyarayarra.org.au forward slash Australian Plants Expo. A 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Beyond the Bars started in 2002, and this year marks 21 years on air. So tune in at 11am each day during NAIDOC, from Monday the 4th of July to Friday the 8th of July for the Beyond the Bars 2022 broadcast. Out story at 
For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Here are the headlines for Tuesday, 5th of July, 2022. As I said before, this week is NADOC week happening from 3rd to the 10th of July. Um, and the, um, I guess the motto for, for NADOC week this year is get up, stand up and show up. Um, and just on that note, just wanted to give you all a brief um, sort of synopsis of 3CR's annual Beyond the Bars broadcast. Um it's a unique series of live prison radio broadcasts that gives voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons, um, and it's broadcast live every day this week. So yesterday um, they were out at Damefields Frost Centre, and today they'll be going to Barwon Prison in Lara, and so the broadcast will be taking place from 11am until 2pm. So make sure you tune in um, 855am or you can listen live at 3cr.org.au and if you wanted to catch uh, all the broadcasts from previous years um, you can go to 3cr.org.au slash beyond the bars in other news a Queensland police whistleblower has claimed that um, she was directed to withhold evidence of police failures in domestic violence cases from the state's cor- state coroner's office and that detectives did not properly investigate the deaths of at least four First Nations women who had previously been subjected to domestic violence. Um, the former senior sergeant worked as a police liaison to the Domestic and Family Violence Death Review Unit, um, which is part of the state coroner's office. And her role in 2020 included auditing death investigations for any link to domestic and family violence. Um, the senior sergeant said that during a six-month period, she identified um, at least four four deaths of um, First Nations women who, quote, were um, where investigation lacked adequate responses from senior responses, uh, senior officers. She said that all four women's deaths were reported by them, um, uh, by detectives investigating the deaths as drug overdoses. So um, stay tuned um, to see what happens with that um, report and that investigation. Um, in other news, I'm sure many of you have learned that um, Moreland Council um, uh we be changing its name to Mary Beck, which is word meaning rocky country. Um, uh, they decided to change the name um, following a community survey because um, Moreland is currently linked to um, slavery. Um, and they chose Mary Beck in consultation with um, Wurundjeri elders. Um, and yeah, that was the name chosen out of three Wurrung names, which is really exciting yeah. and hopefully... Um, is the first of many yes. names to change. Definitely, yeah. Mm. It brings a lot of high hopes, I think, um, for a lot of areas that yep. carry, especially colonisation um, history, names affiliated with that. So, for sure. Yeah. Um, in other news, which is completely different, um, just wanted to touch on the historic joint strike that um, happened in New South Wales involving um, teachers from both public and Catholic schools. 
um, which is really exciting. They gathered at Hyde Park before walking to um, State Parliament um, to demand better working conditions. Um, the New South Wales Teachers Federation described the government's offer of a 3% pay increase as an insult. Um, and yeah, this is the third lot of industrial action by, by teachers in seven months. Um, and sort of linked to this is um, the interview that we're going to listen to later this morning where I speak to Lucy who um, works in Victoria, not New South Wales, but does outline a lot of the pressures that teachers are put under, um, especially now during flu season and impacts of COVID and staff shortages. Definitely. And just lastly, I wanted to give a quick update on uh, some of the floodwaters coming out of New South Wales. Uh, obviously, there'll be more flood updates later today, but the SES has performed dozens of rescues as evacuation orders are issued for more parts of Sydney, especially Sydney's northwest and southwest. There's more heavy rains and damaging winds on the forecast for Sydney and Hunter regions. Winds up to 90 kilometres an hour are forecast bringing a risk of falling trees and power lines due to saturated soil and as I said dozens of evacuation orders and warnings remain in place Uh, the emergency service said that they received 466 calls for help um, and there has been a call for uh, the government uh, to especially climate experts uh, to buy Sydney homes uh, left uninhabitable by by floods and build more sustainable and flood resistant homes, uh, especially the Nepean River, which is um, a river uh, in northwest Sydney, reached a peak of 16.61 metres on Sunday, which is huge. So just giving a warning for anyone that's in those areas. Uh, All right, we'll be back uh, right after this quick little break. Side by side, we walk along to the end of Gertrude Street, and we top all the muster for. Hi, I'm John Harding. Happy NAIDOC Week, everybody. I want you all to join me for a special presentation NAIDOC Saturday, the 9th of July. A radio adaptation of The Dirty Mile, a play I wrote in conjunction with Gary Foley and Kylie Belling. It's a walk down Koori Fitzroy. Come and listen to the history, the characters, the events, the organisations and the people who made up the community of the Fitzroy Blacks. Grab a cuppa, put your feet up, have a laugh, a cry and a walk down Dirty Gertie, Gertrude Street, with me and my friends. The Dirty Mile is being broadcast NAIDOC Saturday, 5.30pm, 9th of July, on the Let Your Freak Flag Fly show. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal land. Cause it's getting closer and closer to its end. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We are going to go to an excerpt from a podcast now, which is with Lydia Thorpe. And yeah, I think we picked this one because obviously it's NAIDOC week, but also in light of Lydia's recent um, interview on the project, I think it's important to showcase something that, yeah, gets outside the mainstream media where she can talk about her own um, 
politics without the kind of controversial journalism that we saw. I'm sure you guys probably talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Waleed. The flag raising incident? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, but it'd actually be great to give a little quick summary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so... Adam Bant refused to stand in front of the Australian flag. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was <laughs> more of a referencing the project interview. But yeah, we yes. did see that. Yeah. yeah. And then um, Lydia Thorpe ended up going on the project to basically support that, um, support Adam Bant doing that. And then, yeah, it was just a bit of a, it was a very disrespectful interview between her and Waleed. And yeah. um, there's been a lot of backlash in the media about it. Yeah. True, true, true. Yes. So, yeah, this is her podcast. It's called Truth Telling with Lydia Thorpe, and she's speaking with Uncle Jack Charles about the importance of treaty. Before we can move forward, before we can heal, we must tell the truth. This is Truth Telling with me, Lydia Thorpe. I'm a proud Japarung Gunai Gundichamara woman. I'm a human rights, climate and forest activist, a mum, a grandmum and a survivor of family violence. Now I'm your Greens Senator for Victoria. This is a place to listen, stay open and learn as I yarn with First Nations elders, experts and activists about the injustices facing our people and importantly, the solutions and opportunities that can come from self-determination through the right policy. We've just heard a song from the deadly Jiri Jiris. Wurundjeri women who dance and sing on country for country. This interview and all interviews will take place on Wurundjeri country, the unceded sovereign lands of Wurundjeri and the Kulin Nation. Oh, it's good to be with you uh, here in uh in Treasury Place, in, uh, in a parliamentary building. I'm rapt, Lydia, to be in your office. <laughs> Deadly Uncle Jack, and it's really an honour and a privilege to have you here. I always love having a good yarn with you, and, um, yeah, we're just yarning earlier, hey, and thought about how long you've known me, and it's yeah. basically... Since the day I was born in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back in 1973 at the mm. Victorian Aboriginal Health Service. Mm. So, Uncle Jack, I'm just going to do an intro and let people know that not only that you're an incredible elder of our people, but you're also a Bunwurrung, Jaja, Wurrung, Palawa and Yorta Yorta man and, and respected elder an accomplished author, actor and co-founder of mm. the first Indigenous theatre company in this country. And Uncle Jack is, is a member of the Stolen Generation and was taken from his mother when he was only a few months old. Uncle Jack was put into an institutional care and separated from family and culture. This trauma would heavily impact the course of Uncle Jack's life. 
Uncle Jack struggled with drug addiction and experienced homelessness. He has been incarcerated 20 times and describes himself as a serial pest. <laughs> Today, Uncle Jack is a respected elder in Melbourne, in Victoria, in the country, and I think all around the world because there are little girls out there that always talk about Uncle Jack in Peter Pan. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, what an what a amazing elder. And, you know, it was a tribal elder that you, you played kind of in that movie. So, mm-hmm. Uncle Jack, we're here to have a yarn about Treaty today. Treaty, yes. Um, which, you know, you know that our mob have been talking about Treaty for a long, long time. Long, long time. So... Can you tell me what treaty means to you? Well, treaty means for me personally that um, we would be taken seriously by our parliament, that we would be able to uh, seek an audience with various members of parliament, the premier himself, as elders, as leaders uh, in our own right, that we uh, place our We point of voting down community hub state and therefore the rise and rise and rise of young education centres and other and so um, we need uh, a treaty to be able to uh, have a voice in parliament uh, and I believe that um, Dan Andrews has got a, a semblance of treaty. We have a, a mob that's coming in, the, the mob that treaty, and we have uh, that same mob. Uh, along with treaty comes the um, the stories of of trauma yeah. and etc. So those of uh, us that of the stolen generation, mm. those that uh, have um, come out of their addictions, mm. lives of crimes confront can front parliament and tell their stories and that's part of the treaty mm. process too having a treaty can be a big measure of healing for um, victorian indigenous people mm. and indeed for the uh, for the nation mm. so i hear in what you've just said that maybe it's truth telling that needs to be part of the treaty journey that we go on and so why do you think truth-telling should be part of a treaty and why do you think even truth-telling is important? Well, right from the get-go, when I subjected myself to that eight-year process, two of them spent doing one-year jail sentences in documenting the most inappropriate moments of my life, you know, showcasing on the, the big screen at Melbourne International Film Festival with Bastardy the Docker, showcasing to white Australian just one stolen person's journey. It was my journey. And it was a measure of healing by 2008. I'd realised that uh, uh, I was outing myself in so many ways that I hadn't thought possible. But there, it's on film. It's a big statement to be made, big, black, bold and brilliant to be able to... uh, express your true self the way uh, that the way I handled life at that time. Melburnians loved it because they loved nothing better 
but somebody that's well and truly honest with their weaknesses and show forth it because there's many people that have shown that this is right, you know, you have to be honest with yourself. If you want to move on, you, 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 you can't hide it, you have to be honest. Yeah. And that's, uh, so, so do you think in that, that instance that you took people along on the journey yeah. that they felt part of it, which oh, yes, also yeah. allowed them to be open and, yeah. and to understand the struggles of yeah. a lot of our people? And there's nothing like somebody coming up to you bouncing when I'm having a latte at Friends of the Earth or across the road at Roses having a latte and somebody will bounce up real super excited, young or old you know, tripping over themselves to tell me, Uncle, I'm off the methadone, thank you very much. I told them how to get off it. Take charge yourself, go and see your doctor. Yeah. Tell your doctor that you intend to take charge of your dosage and when you take your doses. So come in every, I'm gonna come in every second. So tell the chemist too of yeah. your intentions and wean yourself off in your own time. It took me two years to jump off the methadone after I came out in 2005. That same two years, I finished off the documentary Bastardy. Mm. I did the Elder Leadership Skills course yeah. uh, at various uh, venues uh, in the States uh, with Choco and that. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah. so there, you, there you go. This allowed me to uh, take a step back mm. because I was preparing myself to be you know, uh, uh, the Muramali program oh, yes, in that had worked, program. Lorraine Peters and her daughter yeah. Shan had worked a treat with me. So yes, they were the ones that uh, uh, forced the penny to drop for yeah. me. So I came out expressly to be a key player in the humanities. And to create a space and to allow healing from yes. a safe space that was created yes. and to create that safe space we have to deal with some of the hard truths hey? yes, yes yes and and truth telling so, isn't so, always so, so treaty is design you know in, in, in approaching treaty we have to express our desire for the state to uh, trust us we're aboriginal <laughs> it should be on a t-shirt Trust me, I'm Aboriginal. <laughs> and, and, and so the point is, we put across to them the evidence that we can understand why you closed certain organisations down. And me, as an old thief, we cry loudest when we see injustice, especially mm. black money being feathered in uh, uh, people running those organisations in their nest. And that's, so you think uh, Treaty will fix it? I think Treaty will fix it because we'll point out that um, let's go for a new, a new program. Let's fund, uh, give us buildings, small towns. We can talk, you can talk the local councils into giving us one of their empty buildings so that people coming out of Malmesbury having done time, the young ones or the older ones, coming back into their community of Horsham, and Shepherd and Maroopna, Swan Hill. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR and we were just hearing from an excerpt from Lydia Thorpe's podcast, Truth Telling with Lydia Thorpe. And um, yeah, that was with Uncle Jack Charles and shout out to Uncle Jack Charles for winning the award this NADOC week. Um, but if you want to catch more of that podcast, definitely look it up. It's called Truth Telling with Lydia Thorpe.
A special winter concert to celebrate NADOC Week. Join Yampa Man and First Nations singer-songwriter Pititu. Brett Lee's music is gentle, honest and from the heart. Thursday, the 7th of July, 6 to 8pm at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent, Mount Waverley. This is a free concert, but bookings are essential. Go to Monash City Council and search festivals and events for Pitutu Winter Concert to get all the details and to make your booking. So many faces to see. Monash City Council is a 3CR supporter. Nobody here I know. So many places to be. Uh, we're now going to go to a track. This one's by Spinifex Gum with the Malia Choir, and it's called No Longer There. So that's the song No Longer There by Spinifex Gum. We only were able to play um, a minute and a half of it, so please check out the full song. Um, So we're now going to replay an interview that I have with Lucy, who teaches at a government school in the western suburbs of Nam, Melbourne. And um, they're on the show to share their experiences on what it's been like as a teacher so far this year and how they've been managing staff shortages, illness, absent students and more. Just a note that Lucy is not her real name. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Lucy. So you are currently teaching in a large secondary school in the west of Melbourne. Can you tell us how long you've been teaching for? Um, I have been teaching, well, this is my fifth year of teaching now, Um, but I've only been in this school recently. So I pretty much started at the start of term two. So I've really only been there for a term. And so this term has been quite a, a bit of a challenge for a number of reasons. There's been a lot of flu going around, as well as COVID. The COVID numbers keep going up. Has that had an impact on your teaching practice, but also um, your general experience of, of being in schools? 
yeah, I think it has had a big impact. Um, it's funny we live in, well, like we, we're supposedly living in this post-COVID world, but it's still quite um, an issue in schools. There's been a lot, a lot of absences, um, which has been really hard to, I know, keep track of student learning, you know, what students have had access to in the classroom and what they need to catch up on, um, as well as teachers being sick quite regularly as well. And on top of the mass shortage of teachers in Victoria at the moment, um, yeah, it's really, really visible at school. So there's a lot of stress because of the the pandemic or the COVID pandemic and this recent flu that's been affecting, yeah, everyone. So... Um um, so like you said, it has been quite stressful for, for schools and teachers given the amount of illness that's been around. Um, how does that affect your daily teaching practice? Um, are teachers expected to take on additional classes? Um, what does that mean for you? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more expectation for teachers to be available to cover classes. Um, and there is already, you know, th- there's already expectations that we take a few, but the pressure is just on that we might, you know, we might be allocated um, some more and more frequently um, where I, I guess that's that eats into our already limited time for planning, marking, you know, just processing all the things that happen um, during the school day. Um, and also just in terms of like catching up students with things that they've missed, but also just assessing them, keeping them up to date, following, yeah, just getting um, like assessment tasks later down the line, but then you're still expected to assess and mark and give feedback, even though, you know, these students have missed like large portions of the content. Um, Yeah, that adds extra stress as well. And also it's into time that you really don't have. And can you tell us more about some of the general pressures that you feel as a teacher? Um, I imagine that a lot of these things um, have been an issue for teachers well well before the pandemic. What are some of the things that you feel are the major pressures as a teacher? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of pressure on teachers, especially these days. I definitely feel um, the stress of the job. And I don't even think that I've, I haven't been working in the industry for that long, like five years is like relatively fresh. And I definitely still feel like I am a very fresh teacher. Um, but the, th- the things that I can see and also experience myself are like high levels of stress in the job because there, there seems to be a lack of time to get everything that we need to get done completed. And I personally find that it bleeds into my personal hours, so the evenings and the weekends. Um, and if you don't kind of give yourself time to work in those out of hours, you it, it is more stressful when you get back to work because you are unprepared um, and that then impacts your classes and your ability to teach. Mm. Um, I think the time pressure as well as the competing um, expectations of teachers um, makes for a highly stressful workplace so not only I guess when you're in the classroom you're not only trying to manage multiple behaviors you're trying to differentiate and so which means you're trying to meet the needs of like 20 plus students simultaneously Um, and if you haven't had time to plan yeah it's just kind of like 
the the chicken or the egg. <laughs> mm, yeah, for sure. You touched on this before. You were saying that you know a lot of the conversations that we're hearing at the moment is that we're living in a post-pandemic life, which for well, for most, for all of us, really, that's that's not really the truth. Um, you know, we've talked about um, on three CR before how it continues to affect disproportionately affect um, people living with a disability or chronic illness or um, or in detention, and you know, for people like teachers who had a difficult time teaching during the pandemic. Um, yeah, I guess I want to know what it what it has been like going back to face-to-face teaching? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it has been, it's been better in terms of, I guess, you know, teaching is a relationships-based industry. It's about forming relationships and relationships are much harder to form and maintain um, online or in a virtual setting. Um, And so from that aspect or viewpoint it's been super amazing being back in the classroom being with the students you know being back with the school communities where everyone's surrounded by you know friends and familiar faces um but at the same time there I I feel like there's been a massive gap in learning but also I mean not necessarily just you know um content or you know whatever you're meant to be learning in year seven or eight but the social dynamics of students behavior also mental health issues um even you know just anxiety depression those kind of things have really been amplified and being in a classroom now you can really see the difference in that social development um and students in my experience feel younger they you know they it feels like they've missed really important um formative years of their development Mm. Um, a lot of teachers are thinking of leaving the profession Um, just thinking of an article that was published recently in the guardian that had um, a few different teachers give their reasons for why they were thinking of of leaving Um, what are your thoughts on this I read that article I (laughs) felt very heard after reading that article, I think a lot of teachers share um, a lot of those issues and a lot of those experiences as well. Um, I think it is disappointing that um, the system is not set up to support teachers. There's lots of, I feel like there's lots of talk and emphasis on supporting young people, but there seems to be a gap in school's ability and the um, department's ability to support teachers in a way that allows them then to be their best teachers. Um, I guess the time time is just a pure example of that. There seems to be a lot of data entry, um, recording and um, communicating on multiple levels, double handling, the kind of time-consuming tasks that really eat into your capacity to be planning really rich learning experiences for your students and then, um, yeah, and then teaching to the best of your ability. Mm. Um, and then just before we go, is there anything that you'd like to share with listeners about about your particular experience? I guess we want to um, emphasise that this is your own perspective and and, um, and that, you know, we don't pretend to speak um for 
all the teachers out there. But yeah, I guess, Lucy, before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to add to this discussion? Um, I feel as though I've found teaching quite a challenging industry to work in. And I, I wanted to I guess I I had like ambitions and I had these ideas of what teaching could be. It's, um, you know, people make the choice to become teachers generally because they care about young people. They care about the future. It's like an altruistic kind of decision. Um, But the reality is very different. And it, yeah, I think there's a lack of support for teachers to be able to be really the amazing teachers that they want to be. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Tuesday Breakfast um, and wishing you the best with the rest of the school year. Thanks so much for having me, Fung. Trans Family is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. Just before that quick announcement was Lucy speaking about her experience as a teacher battling staff shortages, illnesses, time pressures and other responsibilities. We are now joined by Auntie Rhonda Collard's brat, who is a Yamachi Nunga elder and stolen generation survivor. An accomplished author and artist, Auntie Rhonda is the co-author and artist behind Bob Tail's Friend, the third instalment of the Spirit of the Dreaming series, which bring ancient dreaming stories into today, um, showing that the dreaming never ended. She joins us on 3CR Breakfast today to share the messages of her latest book. Welcome to 3CR, Auntie Rhonda. Thank you so much. Um, could you please start by telling us more about your art practice and how you came to write children's books? Yes, well, I didn't know I can do art because not being with my family, I didn't know that they were all artists and they were musos, musicians and storytellers. So when I came to Queensland, I live here now, I did a an arts course with um, Social Security, it was called then, and I haven't stopped. I've been to university now and have a visual arts degree. And, um, you know, I was walking in the footsteps of my family, but I I didn't know whose footsteps they were because I had no knowledge of my family. So it's connected me back to who I am and it strengthened my heart and my spirit. And I also teach art to our young people at high school here in Ipswich, Bremer High, and, you know, to bring this story forward, it's an ancient story, but it's still applicable in this modern society, and this particular story is about the bobtail, the bobtail lizard, but it has the blue tongue, most other states say blue tongue, and it gets bullied because 
all the other bush animals have pink tongues and bobtail has the blue tongue. So it's about being careful with your words in the book, what we speak about. Yeah, so could you tell us more about your inspiration for writing Bobtail's Friend? Yes, well, I said to Jackie, my friend, we work in the true spirit of reconciliation. She's non-Indigenous. We're family now, so it's been a wonderful journey working with her. Well, my grandchildren were being bullied right now at school, so I thought, you know, that really hurt their heart and their spirit. So I said, no, we need to write a story about what how bullying can hurt people. It can really hurt your heart and your spirit. And those wounds can may never, ever heal, and it can last a lifetime, whereas... A wound to your body can heal, like on your arms or your legs. That will soon heal, but a wound to your spirit and heart, you can't see those hurts, but they do exist. So it was so important to get this out there to everybody, children, youth, teenagers, mums and dads, manners um, and pops, because it's a learnt behaviour. Nobody's born with hate, so we must be careful when we're around our children, to be a good good role model. Because, um, yeah, no one's born that way. No, and, and like you said, a, a lot of these things we can't actually see, um, but we can obviously feel it very deeply. And for children, they, um, they feel a lot of things that we, I think, sometimes don't really, yeah. um, we don't, we maybe take for granted or we dismiss and, and children do, yeah, feel feel a lot of those um, yeah. wounds quite deeply. That's so true. And in our introduction, we say to children everywhere, when you feel hurt by cruel words, know that you are beautiful and you matter. Ugly words don't hold the truth about you. And I think that's a very important message for all human beings, you know. If you're struggling and being judged by your looks and, you know, and, you know, we should be inclusive and accepting and embracing each other and take into your heart and your mind that we we are all humans and just get in touch with the hum- your humanity and um, and think twice with the words you speak. Yeah, I think especially um, now, um, these days, that's an incredibly important message to take away and, and to um, to stress, especially among young people as they are growing up and learning the impact that their words have on each other, but also themselves. So, um, that's right. Mm. And, um, you know, all Australians should be proud of this these Dreamtime stories because... It comes from this land, and everyone is a part of this land now, and um, it's a, the most ancient culture on the earth, and we are still here. So um, that's something we should all celebrate. Definitely. And embrace it, and to know us as a people, not just our music, our art, and dancing. Get to know us. And once you get to know us, you'll be friends for life. Because um, friendships opens up new worlds, you know. Jackie stepped into my world and I've stepped into her world and 
he's taken me into what I call white spaces that I would not have gone into before. So it will enrich your life. And that's what we need. And just imagine if we all looked the same, what a boring old world it would be, eh? (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, and and that's like a that's a beautiful um, anecdote that you were that you were telling us just now about you and your friend Jackie, and I imagine that's um, is that reflected in in the creation of um, the book Bob Tail's Friend that partnership that you have with her. Yes, we've been friends now for ten years. Um, this is our third book together. I've wrote, written my life story, Alice's daughter, lost mission child, and our first dreaming book was. Grandfather Emu and how the kangaroo got her pouch, and that's all about not turning a, your back or a blind eye, or have it, and not hearing people in need of help. And it's about kindness and being helpful. So we got a, we're planning five dreaming stories. I like odd numbers. I don't like to be even. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's something there's something nice about having five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, we've already started the third one and going to be called Old Man of Quokka, Caring for Country. Yes, yeah, so it's, we're on a roll, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds, um, yeah, very much that you've got lots of exciting things ahead of you. Um, yes. If if there are any listeners out there who would like to purchase uh, Bob Tail's Friend and, and even um, your your first um book in the Spirit of Dreaming series, um, Grandfather Emu on How the Kangaroo Got Her Pouch, where can they go? If you come to our website, it's called www.spiritofthedreaming.com and we will sign it for you and post it to you. Okay, that sounds amazing. Well, we can pop the link to the website um, in our show notes. And we also, I'm bringing back our language because as a stolen child, we were forbidden to speak our native tongue, so we were punished severely. We were told it was rubbish, had our mouth scrubbed with velvet soap and a scrubbing brush, and we were told it was rubbish. So I'm honoured to be able to reintroduce some of our words back through these stories, and that fills my heart with, with lots of love, and I'm really proud that I was able to do this because it's the ancient voice of this land and we mustn't lose it. We must hold on to what we have and pass on, even if we know a lot or a little. Mm. It's okay because it wasn't our fault. So so I've been really honoured to be able to share some of our ancient words in here and being a singer-songwriter, see, I didn't know all my family could sing and write songs and do art. And each book will have a song in it. So the book, in this book, grand, in Grandfather's Emus, how the kangaroo got a pouch, we've got a song called Take the Time to Help. It's written in a musical notation and guitar chords. And in this book, it's called, the song's called Words Can Hurt or Heal. So I'm carrying on the, the true tradition of storytelling, art, music, and, you know, we all have that spirit within us to sing and dance and to paint. And it brings so much joy into the world. If, you know, we connect through that. And music is a great glue. It brings us together. Yeah, it sounds like these books are very much 
um, a reflection of of your identity and the many facets of your identity, Auntie Rhonda, but also, like you said, a way to connect with not only your ancestors and the past, but with future generations. Yes, that's so true. And um, it's about giving hope and about teaching about acceptance and um, respect. And I think that's a wonderful quality quality to have in your heart and um, that's what we all need to be aware of. You know, life is about choices. And see, nobody's born with hate. It's a learnt behaviour. So we need, as adults, we need to be careful because we are the role models for our next generation. Because um, our children love us, love mums and dads and nannas and pops and we must influence them in a, in a, a wonderful, caring way. That's my dream, that we will all walk together with no judgment of each other, of inclusivity and acceptance. Because I know how it hurts when you, you are judged just because of who you are. Yes. Well, that's a beautiful message to send to um, everyone this morning, Auntie Rhonda, not just the adults who are listening, but maybe if there are children out there listening as well. Um, that's all we have time for, unfortunately, but just wanted to say a huge thank you to Auntie Rhonda for coming on our show this morning to speak about Bob Tail's friend. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and thank you to all the listeners. Thank you. That was Auntie Rhonda Collard Spratt, Yamachi Nunga Elder. Um, author and artist speaking about her latest children's book, Bob Tell's Friend. If you didn't catch the website and where you can purchase um, the children's storybook, we will pop a link in our show notes later today. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Beyond the Bars started in 2002, and this year marks 21 years on air. So tune in at 11am each day during NADOC from Monday the 4th of July to Friday the 8th of July for the Beyond the Bars 2022 broadcasts. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. You're back on Tuesday Breakfast 3CR Community Radio. We're going to go to a track now. Yeah, so we interviewed this artist um, a couple of weeks ago. Her name is Jessie Lloyd, and um, she was speaking to us about the latest release of her um, album, Alan Songs Project. Um, and so we're going to play a song for you now. It's from that album, and it's called Tabanaba.
Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its Australian Plants Expo on the 27th to 28th of August, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Huge native plant fair. Thousands of native plants included grafted, uncommon species and indigenous plants with books on related subjects, crow's foot pottery, gift stalls, native flower displays and activities for children. Refreshments will also be available. Wheelchair friendly, adults at $5, concessions $4 and children free. Check out our website for plant lists, apsyarayarra.org.au forward slash Australian Plants Expo. A 3CR supporter. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Koko puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. 
Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Koko ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingkoko.com or on Facebook and Instagram. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m. Before the break, we heard uh, the song Taba Naba by Jesse Lloyd. Portia Delina is a graduate researcher in history at La Trobe University, whose area of study spans the Australian student movement from 1950 to 1975. Portia has just published a research article on a study centre opened in 1972 in the border town of Albury in Victoria. Portia explores the role of this study centre in the 1970s feminist movement where she aims to give light to regional and rural women's important and widely under-acknowledged contributions. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Portia. Hi, thank you. Uh, so your area of studies is obviously history, particular, particularly student movements. What prompted you to focus on the education of regional and rural women and their influence on the second wave women's movement? Um, so it's a little bit disconnected to my research, but in 2019, I was commissioned by Charles Sturt University to write a history on um, higher education in Albury-Wodonga. And part of this research was conducting oral history interviews with past staff and students um, from the university, but also what it began as as a study centre back in 1972. And through these interviews, um, particularly with the women who had been mature-age students um, back in the 70s, a lot of them kept talking about how their lives as women were radically changed um, through this access to an education and even mentioned um, the role of feminism and what they believed to be feminism. Um, And so I didn't really get to touch on it that much on the commissioned history, but when I came back to Melbourne and took up my PhD again, I thought that this story was just too interesting to let go Um, And so I decided to write an article about it. Yeah, and I'd love to go further into, you know, the study centre in general that was set up in Albury in the 1970s. Um, Why was the study centre set up? And uh, you touched on it a little bit, but what was the significance of this study centre in relation to the education of women at the time? Um, So in the 1970s, you kind of have these, Uh, separate movements converge. So you have um, the education boom post-World War II. Uh, You have an increase in Australian population, uh, but also a lot more emphasis on the benefits of remaining in schools. And so you needed to train teachers to teach these kids. Um, But also the Australian economy um, had a high demand for trained workers as well. So there's a real push to increase Australia's higher education capabilities. 
Um, and Aubrey Wodonga had been campaigning for a university for many years, uh, since the 40s, I think. Um, but it was always seen as too expensive to have a university in Aubrey Wodonga. Um, in the 60s, there was only one regional university um, in the whole of Australia. All the rest were just located in the capital cities. Um, but in 1964, they decided to create these institutions called Colleges of Advanced Education, which were to sit below a university but above a TAFE, and they were to provide pretty much similar university degrees but more catered towards... Um, they're more vocationally focused. So once you graduated, you went straight into a, into, into employment. They weren't research-based. Um, so Aubrey Wodonga got... Oh, sorry. Wagga Wagga, which is located about 160 k's from Aubrey, was given a College of Advanced Education. And Aubrey Wodonga was given a study centre connected to this college. Um, and this was important because this is the first access to a higher education in the region... Um, just prior to that, if you wanted to further your education, you had to travel to Sydney or Melbourne or Canberra. Um, and this was important for women because they had always been the first to give up an access to education. Um, it was very expensive to send students to um, university in the cities. Um, and women were really expected to be housewives and mothers. Um, so they weren't really given the opportunity to um, follow their educational dreams. And the study centre was the first time that they could practically get an education. Yeah, and I'd love to go into some of your accounts. As you mentioned earlier, you interviewed several women who were mature-age students at the time of studying at this centre in Albury in the 1970s. What were some interesting accounts that were made about their time at the study centre? And I guess if you could also explain why did uh, the turn to education, or why did they turn to education as mature age students and uh, where they couldn't get an education earlier on? Yeah, um, so the women that I interviewed, all of them, um, I think only maybe one or two finished high school, the rest left school early. Um, many of them married early and had kids early. Um, one lady, Anne, she moved back to Albury in the early 70s because she had just gone through a divorce with her husband and she moved back to be closer to her family. But she was working multiple jobs to solely support her six kids. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, intense. <laughs> and... When she was at dropping the kids off at school one day, some of the other mothers that she was speaking to um, mentioned that she should take up a course at the study centre just to meet other people in the town um, and make friendships. And she was like, oh, I'm a bit busy, but, you know, I would like to meet people. And she ended up coming, like, taking up a degree. Many, a few of her kids actually pushed back against her taking up study because they thought it was taking away from her being a mum and that's what she was really expected to do. Um, but despite this, she uh, completed her degree in librarianship and um, became a librarian and then ended up doing social work as well and has had a you know very successful career in the local community helping other women 
um, yeah, which was really inspiring. And then another lady, Eileen, um, she had to leave her job at a hospital when she fell pregnant because um, there's no there's no childcare in Albury Wodonga in the 70s. Um, so there's just no way that she could practically keep working. But then she felt a little bit um, bored and a bit dull just being at home with her toddler. And so she decided to retrain into a, into a degree or a job that was more mother-friendly. She decided to do teaching, but changed midway to just do an arts degree and just kept following her dream and her passion of learning and ended up doing um, a PhD or postgraduate studies at the University of New England and became a lecturer in sociology at the Latrobe campus that opened up in Wodonga um, in the 80s. Wow. Those are some incredible accounts. And I love this idea, you know, of... um connection it's something that you see throughout history of you know groups that are um i guess stereotypically marginalized when they connect with each other and talk to each other as you said about that woman that um was told to go to the study center to make friends i love that idea of um through connection you know uh pretty impactful uh, political and social movements can happen. And I wanted to um, focus on, you know, education and feminism is a topic that's largely discussed in political theory and history. However, rarely in relation to regional settings like Albury, what did you discover that made education in these areas so impactful for specifically the feminist movement? Yeah, so like you said, um feminism and regional or rural Australia kind of seem to be very much separate. Um, And I guess that's because regional and rural Australia seem to be a little bit more conservative or lagging behind the major cities, um, which isn't entirely true. Um, But there is a distrust in regional women um, towards second wave feminism in particular and how they critique the family unit as a form of oppression just because to regional and rural women the family unit was so important because that was really their their main world, their home base. Um, but with Aubrey Wodonga and uh, feminism, with, through an access to an education, and these women didn't undertake it as a feminist act and didn't necessarily see what they were doing as, you know, feminist, but through it they did live out and achieve a lot of the goals of second-wave feminism. Um, So through an education and coming into class, which is what you kind of spoke about before, coming together as a group of women and talking about their lives as women and relating this to the theory that they're learning in class, this can be seen as a form of consciousness raising, which was a huge... Um, tool in the second wave, in second wave femi- feminism and the women's movement, where women used these group discussions to try and understand their lives as women and the oppression that they experienced. And the women were speaking, or women that I interviewed told me that through their class discussions, they realised um, that you know their lives as women were different to those of the male students, and they had these different skills and experiences that was due to 
their roles as mothers and wives. Um, and like you mentioned as well, that they developed a community outside of the family home that wasn't defined by their role as a mother or a wife, which is what they were generally defined by in regional society. Um, and that by, gain, by going into the, these education institutions that were traditionally seen to be just for men, because they were the only ones who had the time or the money to take up a further education, they challenged the private and public spheres in regional community and um, made women gaining an education valid. Yes. Um, and this had a real impact on their lives. They gained, Through their degrees, they could take up um, a job and gain an economic independence, which traditionally, as housewives, they were tied to the male breadwinner, their husband, and didn't have that yeah, economic um, independence or mobility. They also gained an intellectual independence. They were able to, you know, take um, take up a study and develop their own their own self and their own minds. Um, and their self perception changed quite radically as well. They didn't see themselves as just mothers and wives. They saw themselves as active members of the community who had their own passions and desires and dreams to follow. And this really changed Aubrey Wodonga as a community as these women came out of the home and went into these public spheres and also took up new positions and roles in society. Um, the center, study centre director said that they were bored housewives, that um, they were really just uh, following what had been denied to them before. Yeah, I think that's such an important point as well. You know, we always get fed that bored housewife, hysterical um, kind of line. And actually, the, all these women had the potential to do, uh, to learn and to uh, become professionalized and to enter the workforce and to do a lot of other things apart from just being a wife and a mother, um, which mm. is incredibly inspiring. Um, unfortunately, Portia, we're running out of time this morning, um, but it's been absolute pleasure chatting to you about this quite uh, incredible piece of history uh, that happened in Albury. And I think probably would have happened in other regional places mm -hmm. in Australia as well. But thank you so much for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast this morning. Cool. Thank you for having me. That was Portia Delina, a graduate researcher in history at La Trobe University, speaking about her recent research that is titled The Beginning of Feminism, the RCAE Study Centre and Feminism in Albury, Wodonga in the 1970s and 1980s. And you can read a succinct version of Portia's article on the Conversation website. We are now going to play for you uh, a segment from yesterday's Beyond the Bars broadcast. Um, Shirley Hood was out at Dameville's Frost Centre um, and here she is speaking or introducing her guests. Hello and thank you and welcome. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio all the way for the people. And this week we have a NAIDOC week and we are doing Beyond the Bars. We are today kicking it off at the ladies' prison. So brilliant to be here at Dameville's Frost. How are you ladies? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how much fun, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know. But great to see you, Daisy. And um, it's great 
it's great that uh, yeah, it's great that you've been here today. What yeah. have you been thinking about with NADOC week? Um, so I've been waiting to see um, like what programs and stuff they've got going on in here. Um, like what we're doing for NADOC and that. Yes. Um, so this is um, great to be here today to do this, do the yes. um, the whole radio situation thing. <laughs> yes. Um, Which is good. Have you ever done radio? Or no, interviews? I've never done it. I've never done it before. Yeah. No. So it's totally new, hey? Yeah. But it's great though because like when you do different things, like especially at being live, do you know what I mean? Like I tripped out That's on that right. before. So... <laughs> Like, um, it's actually really great to be up here and being on the on the radio, being live, you know what I mean? So Yeah, that's it, eh? Like, live out there. Yeah. So hello, everyone. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it practices um, how you speak, eh? Yeah. And hearing myself on here feels good, too. <laughs> that's right. Great voice, eh? Yeah. And that's what it's about out there. It's about voicing our... Mm. selves, you know, especially in NADOC week. Yeah. You know, so what kind of programs would they have here? Um, so they got like, um, so this is one of them. We do um, paintings. We do um, Mum Gudal. It's like um, education, like. So cultural education. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. They come in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they they so in the they're here in the um education um facility. Mm-hmm. Um and they like we just learn about um our culture and stuff like that and we do paintings um but um and yeah. No, that's good. That's good because you need to have, um, like, time to get in touch with your spirit and get all your paintings yeah. out. Are you more of a um, performer, like spoken word, or you like to paint? Um, so I can do both, to be honest. Brrr. Yeah, I can do both. So um, I just, like, when I paint, I can, I get right into it. Like, if I'm doing a painting... Of any sort, like um, I do big ones or little ones or, yeah, I just, um, I like it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Do you find yourself drawing about, like, things in life or do you draw what's around you? So when I paint, like, I paint, so I paint because, like, I want to express myself on a painting if, does yes. that make sense? No, it does. So, yes. like, whatever I'm painting. So, I paint about, like, um, things that I imagine or th- things that I see. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, things that I like to, like, I've done this painting once that my mum's got. Um, it's a, It's got, so it was about um, men going out. Um, getting food like fish and bringing it back to the campfire so they can all eat. Great. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, the hunting, the food gathering. Yeah, the, the hunting and the, yeah. And then we all sit together and eat. Eh? Yeah, and then we all sit together and eat. So when I did it, I done, so I had the man standing up with the um, spear. 
Yes. And yes. the the fish around it. So the the men first and then the fish around it and then the fire in the middle of it. Beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. I mean that takes me to a couple of like different places with family. And, yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's good because if everybody feels that it's it's a well done painting, hey. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And it talks about our lives. Mm, it does. You know? Like you put your story in a painting, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. yeah. How long have you been doing that, Daisy? Um, so I only – so ever since I've been back in here now, I haven't done a painting ever since. So my last sentence that i done was three and a half years. I um, done a painting – I was doing paint – like I was in the art room doing painting for probably about a few months – and I done um, I done uh, emu egg. I done painting on oh, an emu egg. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, um, and then I done it on a boomerang. Yes. Um, and I done a matching painting that was that matched the egg on a um, canvas on a normal canvas. Yes. Um, I was gonna sell that to. <laughs> To the torch, I was going to sell that to them. Ah, good. Yeah, they're yeah. out there for Aboriginal people from our original paintings inside. Yeah, yeah, I was going to sell it mm. to them. But then I thought, my mum's got, I want my mum to have um, stuff like that. Yes. Like my paintings and things that I've done in jail, like in jail inside. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, just as a, um, for all listeners out there, for them to, what does an emu egg look like? So an emu egg looks like um, so it's just like a it's like a normal egg, but it's really massive, like it's really big. It's really yeah, like and it's, it's really big. It's probably about the size of your hand, like when you're stretched out. When when you stretch your hand out, so it fits inside your hand, like it's the, in the palm, eh? In the palm, yeah. The fat bit, they're the like, round bit. They're like um, that big, mm. something like that. But they're they're really how big's that? For the um, listeners, they can't see. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, how much? So, you get you got a ruler, yeah. So, yeah. on probably. No, I don't. <laughs> we don't have a ruler actually, which okay. is funny. But if 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 you do, they're about what twelve so, centimeters. Um, they can be they can be the size of a um. So you know how you get the the small uh no wait, you know how you get the um Red Bull cans? Oh yeah. The yeah. Red Bull cans. The Red Bull cans. So they're, uh-huh, they're probably peeps. about that height. It's probably about that height right. of a Red Bull can. But the Yeah, about that big. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny, yeah. I hate to even go back to Red Bull, but it does it, it's about the size of an emu egg. Yeah. Hey. But yeah. then an emu egg's much rounder. Yeah, they're much rounder and they're, they're, um, and they're, their colour is beautiful. Yeah, they've got different colours. So they're like a dark bluish, like really dark purple, bluish mixing together. Yeah. So purple and blue mixing together. And green. And green, yes. Yeah, like there's that in there. But that's yeah. really good and good for people just to know that because yeah. it doesn't look like a normal, normal egg. No. It's um it's very gigantic. Yeah, yeah. It's like and you know, with the um with the eggs, 
Like, you know how you got um, one egg in, in a normal egg? Yeah. So in an emu egg, there's like six eggs in there. That's right. That's yeah. right. If you're going to do scrambled eggs, get the emu egg, eh? It's, yeah. It feeds everybody. Yeah. You know? Mm. That's what it's about. Yeah. No, deadly daisy. And it's good because if you're d- drawing on it, what was it like painting? Oh, so painting on it was like, it was amazing. It was like, um, it was really amazing. Like it was, it was a different, um, feel, like a different touch to it. Yes. And like. Because it's a lot rougher. Yeah. Not the normal eggshell colour or touch. Yeah. Like if you, if you like tap it, it won't, it won't crack. Like. It won't crack like a normal egg, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. A special winter concert to celebrate NADOC Week. Join Yampa Man and First Nations singer-songwriter Piritu. Brett Lee's music is gentle, honest and from the heart. Thursday, the 7th of July, 6 to 8pm at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent, Mount Waverley. This is a free concert, but bookings are essential. Go to Monash City Council and search festivals and events for Piritu Winter Concert to get all the details and to make your booking. So many faces to see. Monash City Council is a 3CR supporter. Nobody here I know. So many places to be. Imagine what it would be like to be homeless in a city under curfew and in lockdown. When your everyday life has been turned upside down and it becomes illegal to be on the street. Tune in to Homeless in Hotels. A three-part radio series giving voice to the people who went from a life on the street to a life in hotels. And the support workers experiencing the shifting ground on the front line of COVID-19. Premiering on Thursday, July 28th, 12pm to 1pm. On 3CR, 855 AM. Homeless in Hotels, a 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast. We've come to the end of our show. A huge show. We'll take you through... um, what was on the show this morning uh in our first bracket we played uh truth telling uh, snippet from truth telling podcast uh with lydia thorpe who had a chat to uncle jack charles about the importance of truth telling in order to move forward as a nation and after that we heard from lucy who is a secondary school teacher um, and she was just sharing with us how challenging it is to be a teacher at the moment and the burnout that many teachers are facing Um, Afterwards, we spoke with Auntie Rhonda, who was telling us about her latest book called Bobtail's Friend, um, part of the Spirit of the Dreaming series, which is out now. 
and I had a chat to Portia Delina about her new research into uh, women going to a study centre in Albury-Wodonga in the 1970s and how it uh, created a feminist movement at the time. And then we just heard from Shirley, who was speaking with Daisy. Um, this was part of the Beyond the Bars broadcast, um, and it was a segment from yesterday's show at Danefield's Frost Centre. Just remember to tune in uh, later this morning at 11 a.m., where there'll be a live broadcast from Barwon Prison, um, and also every day, every yeah, every day this week. Um, so tomorrow will be 1 to 3 p.m. out at Loddon. On Thursday will be 11 to 2 p.m. out at Port Phillip Prison. And then on Friday will be the Marguerite Correctional Centre, again from 11 to 2 p.m. Um, and if you are enjoying the broadcast, you can check out the series from previous years. If you go on the website, I would highly recommend that you listen back. Yes, and so, you can purchase the CD as well. Yes, you can purchase the CD as well. So you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars to find out all the relevant information. And also, didn't announce this morning, but we are lucky enough to be joined by George. You would have heard George announcing Lydia Thorpe. George will be with us for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so thank you so much, George, uh, for coming back on Tuesday Breakfast. And as always, we have Accent of Women coming up next with Giselle Hanna. Of course, this week is NADOC week and keep it locked to 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.